0: I would have far greater success if I put a page on Wikipedia.org than if I put a page on, you know, Rans-House-of-iPods.info.
1: Which you don't I own know, that right? domain. No, you oh, do? I just bought it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, good luck. <laughs> yeah, right. Coming to you in your speakers from Dubai to all around the globe. This is James Reynolds Traffic Jam Podcast. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hello, listener. You're tuned in to Traffic Jam. This is episode number 22, and I'm your host, James Reynolds. Of course, you're listening into this show that teaches you how to build and grow a profitable audience for your website. Now, I've got to say, this episode is one that I've been looking forward to particularly, perhaps more so than others, because today we'll finally get to cover the topic of search engine optimization, which, if you are a regular listener to the show, you will know is something that's particularly close to my heart, because I do myself run an SEO agency, SEO Sherpa. And uh, it's, of course, a topic that I get to talk about, you know, pretty much every single day, coaching my team, educating customers on and, of course, creating really valuable content around that topic, too. So when we did finally cover the topic of SEO, I wanted to make sure that we got a guest on the show who could add real value, someone that I looked up to personally myself. And I don't think my guest today is going to disappoint at all. My guest today is none other than Rand Fishkin. He's the CEO of Moz.com, which I've got to say is right up there in the go-to resources for all things SEO as far as I'm concerned. Probably my top three, if not the top one, actually. I really do love everything that Moz.com do. He's also the co-author of The Art of SEO and co-founder of Inbound.org, both excellent resources on SEO in their own rights. And aside from all of that cool stuff, he... uh, He's a fan of NFL football. He likes a bit of theatre and he likes a good drink of scotch. So in my mind, he's a pretty cool guy. So Rand's interview is coming right up. But of course, you don't want to go anywhere after that because we'll have the regular segments, which we all so much like and enjoy. At least I enjoy making them anyway. We've got the one minute traffic tip. This week's news in traffic and of course to play out the show we have our musical jam which is always a bit of fun. So I guess without any further ado today I really do want to get stuck right into the episode right away. The topic is search engine optimization, inbound marketing, and we do cover some other stuff related to social media and some cool little traffic tips that Rand serves up too. So that's right away. Right now it's my interview with Rand Fishkin. Here it is. Okay, so this is Traffic Jam episode number 22, and my guest in the Traffic Jam hot seat today is the CEO of Moz, founder of Inbound.org, co-author of The Art of SEO, and self-confessed search and social addict, it's Mr. Rand Fishkin. Rand, welcome to Traffic Jam.
0: James, thank you so much for having me.
1: I guess I could have added on a bit of a PS there and said you're a Scotch lover as well. I did notice oh, that. Oh,
0: that is that is definitely true.
1: <laughs> Good. Well, the conversation's not going to be about Scotch, at least in the most part today. We're going to dive deep into a few different topics, but mainly focused around search engine optimization, because that's kind of your um, your real area of expertise, should I say. Now, my opening question is, you started out online in about 1997, I believe, before there was even a Google if you take away all the tricks and tactics what has actually changed in the art of search engine optimization in that time
0: well we've actually had a, a huge amount of change over that period so that I would kind of separate us into three uh, unique blocks of about five years each so 97 to about 2002 uh, SEO was very much well, you could be very successful with SEO simply by doing a small number of manipulative things, and I think that was really the start of the black hat, gray hat SEO world. You know, stuffing your title tags and meta keywords tags with uh, with, with terms and phrases that would help you come up in the engines, putting you know white on white text so that you have the keyword repeated on your page more than your competitor <laughs> would, uh, earning or buying you know, crappy links from link networks, spamming blogs, all these kinds of things. And really, Google's rise to dominance uh, in the early 2000s helped put an end to a lot of those practices or made them tremendously harder. And uh, those folks who did still practice, like the black hat, gray hat, got much more sophisticated, and then we sort of had our new generation, our our sort of first generation of what I'd call SEO marketers in the early, mid-2000s. And those folks, I think many of them are still practicing today, of course, but this is when you really got an art, behind SEO. It was a a practice that required some technical expertise, making websites search-friendly and search-optimized, as well as doing some classic kinds of marketing things like building a brand and earning links and getting attention and PR and press, those kinds of things. Uh, And today I think that's become an even wider array of things. If you want to be good at SEO in 2013, you really have to be good at a lot of different kinds of marketing because the search engines are taking into account uh, signals that are far broader than what they've ever considered in the past so links are still important of course what's on your pages is of course still important as well but now we're looking at things like social shares and brand mentions and user and usage data Uh, there's a lot of signals coming from a lot of interesting places um, uh, uh, topic modeling kinds of things that they're doing on text analyses with um, updates like Penguin, they're doing more and more sophisticated kinds of query matching. So this has become a uh, an art and a science. Uh, it's it's big, broad marketing, and it's also you know getting technical in the
1: details. Okay, good. Well, I'm going to ask you a question now that you may cringe at a little when I ask you it because guys like you and I have. To sort of respond to this type of question, it seems extensively, perhaps more times than we've had hot dinners in two thousand and thirteen. <laughs> with everything that's gone on in the past twelve months, and and perhaps even before that, is SEO as we know it finally dead?
0: Well, it depends on what you want to call it. I, I mean, I think what's What's dead is an old style of SEO that sort of had barely existed and chugged along from the late 90s into the early mid-2000s and now is almost completely dead. And that kind of SEO is, oh, look, here's a keyword people are searching for. I'm going to go... Uh, make a page, put that keyword in my title, put it all over the page, uh, build a bunch of links to it that have that anchor text. And it doesn't really matter what's on the page or whether my site's any good. I can still rank because I got the links, I got the anchor text, and I got the keyword matching. That kind of SEO is, if not dead, definitely on life support.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Good stuff. Well, I want to kind of roll forward a bit now and we'll talk about some of the stuff that really does influence rank in in 2013 and and over at moz.com you've got access to a lot of data via your tools you do your sort of bi-yearly uh, moz.com ranking factors study let's talk a little bit about you know what actually really does affect rank at this at this point now if google's you know, own official language is anything to go by, they say that all you need to do is focus on having a good website um, with a good user experience. And I certainly agree with the fact that you can't rank a shitty website in 2013, but <laughs> does it really, I mean, is it really that simple? I mean, is that really where the focus should be?
0: It's it's not that simple. Um, and I think I think Google's advice is actually kind of poor on that front. Like many things in the world of marketing or in, in the world of building a great business, it's complicated. There's a lot of nuance and there's a lot of shades of gray. And so, one of the things, James, and this is, you know, I think this is an important distinction. What I don't want to say is, uh, I, or any other expert in the s e o field knows all of the things that Google uses or even most of the things that Google actually uses in their ranking algorithm to determine who should rank higher than uh you know somebody else. However, yeah. what we do know a lot about is the features and factors that predict that that on average a site that performs above other sites or a page that performs above other pages. What are the features that 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 or cider page has, and we can tell you that from looking at uh, lots of broad correlation studies, from seeing you know firsthand experience of uh, earning particular kinds of signals and seeing sites go above them. Of course, in our ranking factors. Uh, the biennial one that you mentioned, we also do a a survey of a large number of professional SEOs and we aggregate their opinions. And that's where a lot of this data comes from. So today, if you go and search Google for ranking factors, you'll find this big list and you can go check that out uh, at your leisure. But essentially, we're talking about a few big categories that most of the elements fall under. Got it. Big important one. Is domain authority. This is essentially how powerful, important, reputable, influential, uh, how how effective in gaining and keeping an audience is the website on which you're hosting your pages. So, for example, you know, if I were to uh, go and try and rank for orange iPods, I would have far greater success if I put a page on Wikipedia.org than if I put a page on. You know, Rand's House of iPods.info,
1: which you don't I know, own that right? domain. No, you oh, do? I just bought it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, good luck.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, so, and and this is because Wikipedia has all of these signals, right? It has all of these signals that Google has seen over time. They've seen lots of people uh, clicking on those pages and going to that site, using it. Remember, they have access to Google Chrome, which is. Uh, tied for the the number one most popular browser. They have um, toolbar data. They have data from Google Analytics, uh, aggregated data from Google Analytics. They have data from providing Wi-Fi and internet service. They've got a ton of information about who visits what, when, why, how, all of that stuff. And so they can take those signals into account uh, when determining how important a site is. They also know You know, if a site has earned a lot of links, a lot of mentions, uh, a lot of brand attention, then that site is probably more important than others. So that's kind of the concept of domain authority. And that's why in the SEO world, one of the things that I always recommend to people is don't be building multiple websites targeting different things, build a brand. Yeah, Build a business with a brand that people know and like that has a positive association. Build it on one website. Keep all of your content on that one website if you possibly can.
1: Yeah. And I guess the spinoff of that, Rand, is it's also far easier to manage one resource than be trying to split your attention between multiple websites, all particularly set up to target a particular keyword phrase. It's pretty, pretty heavy on resource, that type of strategy.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I think you know, I think you're you're doing exactly that with Traffic Jam, right? You've built up a brand. It's something that people know. When you emailed me, I recognized it. I Googled it. I saw the other guests. It, it, it builds a brand, right? And that's exactly what you're searching for. So some of the other elements are, uh, you know, there's obviously page level signals, um, page level link signals, meaning are lots of people pointing to the page uh, from lots of good sources. Google's gotten really good at differentiating essentially editorially given links from the classic kinds of links that SEOs used to build or acquire, and I think they've gotten, they've they've really shifted to a world where acquired links, uh, links that you can get without interfacing with another person. Um, or without uh, earning them, are going away in terms of their value and importance. Uh, they look at; they do look at things like anchor text. What do the links say? But they're also looking at things like surrounding text and the context of the page that a link is on. And we've seen some pretty interesting rankings where, you know, something will be ranking well for a keyword, it has virtually no anchor text, and you go and look, and a lot of the pages that link to it happen to mention or be about that term or phrase. So that's a contextual matching on Google's part. And then there's uh, social shares, user and usage data, um, and a, a number of other uh, technical things. Obviously, keyword matching on the page is still yeah. relatively important, too.
1: Good. Well, I guess we might just dig into a couple of those um, in sure. a moment or two. But I just, before we do that, I read a post recently where you likened link building to sex. Um, I'm not quite seeing the connection. Tell me more about that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that was an uh, offhanded relationship. Well, so <laughs> let me put it differently. different way. It's very similar to dating, right? What you what you definitely don't want to do if you're trying to build a long-term positive relationship uh with Google is to go and do the kinds of things that are uh, one-time paid activities. And this is true in dating as well, generally speaking, right? If you're seeking a long-term positive relationship uh, with a man or a woman, you you generally don't want to do one-time paid kinds of activities.
1: Yeah, got it. And you think this is kind of a This is something that's underlying within the kind of SEO community at large that people are very much focused on this kind of transactional um, type SEO, where they're just thinking about the actual tactical elements of building links, as opposed to what you're you're speaking a lot more about, and I'd certainly advocate about building up, um, you know, authority and a brand online.
0: Yeah, actually, I think you um, nailed it, James. The the term transactional SEO is precisely what I'd use to describe this. And I would say that is dying or dead. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about social signals, you know, the amounts of likes and shares and, and how that, influences rank i think that came up reasonably highly within your moz.com uh, report and uh, you also made a comment recently about uh, google pluses having a, a significant in fact uh, impact on page rank passing or, or something to that effect which then got you into a little bit of an online squabble with matt cuts tell us a bit about what happened there
0: sure yeah so uh, cyrus shepherd who's one of our uh, uh senior content editors at moz um Fantastic guy, really, really smart SEO. He basically had had noted this uh, high, very high correlation between things that earn Google Plus um, Google Plus ones and Google Plus shares, and the way that those pages rank. And so he wrote about this uh, in a way that I thought was was pretty well done. He he did not say Google is clearly using, uh, you know plus ones or Google plus shares to rank pages. He said, pages that are earning these signals, pages that are getting lots of plus ones and lots of shares, tend to be outranking pages that don't uh, at a a very high rate. And Matt Cutts jumped on it and said his language was extremely careful. It was something to the effect of, um, I'm not sure how best to debunk this. (laughs) <laughs> I think that was that was what he said. And then people came in and were like, well, wait, what is what do you mean? Do you mean this was a poorly done correlation study? Do you mean Google isn't directly using plus ones? Are they not using shares? I know that if they I know that if someone I follow on Google Plus plus one something, then it ranks higher for me. I yeah. know that if someone, you know, that personalization element is certainly there. Google shows you right in there, right? It'll say, you know, James Reynolds plus one this and you follow him. So the clarity around what exactly was wrong is unknown at this point. I think I think you know Matt Cutts was essentially trying to say we don't directly use plus ones as a ranking signal in and of themselves exclusively. Yeah. and that actually you can sort of prove to yourself. And I think uh, Eric Engie and and Mark Trapheg and on Google Plus did a pretty good uh, experiment where they essentially said, "Hey, let's go take a page." That's ranking, you know, on page two. Uh, We're going to point a bunch of, we're going to get a bunch of people to plus one that page, but not do anything else. No link building, no other kinds of things. Let's see what happens. Gosh, we replicated that experiment a few different times and no movement on any of those search results. It does look like independent of everything else, Google plus ones exclusively are not a, are not the kind of transactional tactic or transactional SEO that's Mm going to move the needle for you. But I think it's really, really dumb if you take that experiment and Matt Cuss's words and you think to yourself, oh, well, there's no reason for me to use Google Plus uh, to help my SEO, both because of the personalization and because what's almost certainly going on is there's some sort of uh, secondary or associated signal that's causing that high correlation, meaning... A page that, you know, maybe it's the case that a page that has the ability or that in general would earn lots of plus ones naturally also earns other things that Google is considering. Also gets, you know, whatever it is, links, mentions, some sort of secondary element. Maybe they're using plus ones in combination with other sorts of data on Google Plus or on their, uh, the world of signals that they consider in general. But whatever it is, that is really, it is a really high correlation. It's a weirdly high correlation.
1: That's interesting. Has there been anything, Ran, that in all of your studies over at Moz.com and access to all the data that you have that has been a really surprising um, ranking factor, if you like, that has caused you know significant movements when you thought that it would be something that perhaps Google would see as being insignificant? Has there been anything like that that you've come across in your time?
0: Yeah, uh, we've seen a few weird ones. Um I think one of the one of the more odd ones a few years back was the high correlation with no followed links uh, in the in the ranking factor specifically, and we did see some experiments. That was one where we tried to perform some experiments and uh, s- seemed to see movement from no followed links, and we weren't exactly sure what's going on. Uh, that correlation, by the way, over time has decreased. I know people have tried to replicate experiment the experiment and seen less. Impact or maybe no impact from no followed links. So it could have been something Google used to consider, or maybe just some weird data. Um, there was one a few years back. This is uh, this is going back a while now, but um, we noticed that Google would not index a page if it ended in uh, the extension zero. So you know Ooh. if. You, if most pages on the internet right they have an extension no extension or extension like .html or .php or you know what what have you but we had a page that was .0 and we looked around we found a bunch of other pages that were .0 and we looked in google's index and none of them were indexed <laughs> and so we actually dropped a line to uh to some folks at google and um I, I I emailed uh, Matt Cutts and several other folks on the search quality team, and yeah, they fixed it. <laughs> so there, there you go. go. <laughs> Some weird ones.
1: It is a weird one. Okay, so I guess we could just wrap that up and say, you know, probably the biggest mistake that you could make in uh, SEO is ending all of your pages with uh, .dot zero. But oh uh, no, they fixed it
0: now. <laughs> okay, okay, <laughs> Google's fixed it now. You're you're okay, but. I-
1: well, you're saying back in the day, back in yeah. the day, back in the day. What about now, though? Is there anything that you've seen that's come up time and time again that you see as a big mistake that people just generally make with their SEO? Beyond the transactional stuff that we talked about in terms of a general direction, is there any big clangers that people should be aware of?
0: Uh, I have seen people do and. and- this is really consistent. I don't know where it comes from, but I've seen a lot of people who target keywords, right? They say, oh, I, you know, I want to rank for this orange iPod, and they do a lot of, you know, sort of the, the ranking side of things right, and they get the user experience totally wrong. They don't think about, oh, well, people are – when people come to this page, what do they actually want, Not what's the content that's going to help me rank well, but what is a human being who clicks over from a search result looking for and what's going to help them discover that? And the problem is this doesn't just hurt you from a conversion rate optimization standpoint, although, of course, it does. It also hurts you from a ranking standpoint. And the reason is uh, Google does use, and and they have talked about this, they do use uh, signals not directly like... um, bounce rate, but something they kind of call pogo sticking, yep. which is essentially, you know, I'd perform a search for orange iPods, I click on your page, it loads for me, and I immediately click the back button because you didn't have what I want. And in, instead of performing a new search or, um, you know, going on to a different activity, I've gone back to Google. So now Google knows that I'm no longer on your page, I'm on theirs. And I click a different result, or I try and refine my search query. And that tells Google, hey, wait a minute, I know we've got a bunch of signals saying this page should rank, but the user data is telling us this is a crappy experience and yeah. maybe we shouldn't, be, we shouldn't be ranking this page. So that's one that I've just seen people get wrong time and time again. They're, they're kind of good at the SEO side and then bad at delivering what people want.
1: And I guess that's just inherent of people thinking about SEO purely as, you know, as a tool for for traffic rather than thinking what the end game actually is. And that would be some form of business metric, you know, a sign up, a sale, um, you know, a contact, whatever it would happen to be. It's that secondary action that you want people to take once they get to your website that ultimately is what really should be driving your SEO, right?
0: Absolutely. I mean, why are you trying to get this traffic if not to help people accomplish some goal?
1: Yeah, got it, got it. Well, Rand, let's turn our attention and conversation to Moz.com. Um, you're a company that primarily offers content and tools that are kind of geared towards inbound marketing. What are some of the most effective marketing channels that you're using in your own business right now?
0: Sure. So uh, SEO actually is a is a very big one for us. Uh, social media has been huge. So Google Plus, uh, LinkedIn uh, Twitter and Facebook, uh, Facebook actually has gotten more sort of more effective over the years for us, which is interesting because I always think of Facebook as being a very, uh, consumer focused network and not very B2B. And I always think, gosh, who's going to share a Moz post, you know, with their (laughs) friends and family on Facebook. Um, but it does, it has been happening. So I think people are using it more and more as a, as a personal network. Um, we actually have a lot of success on the paid media side with retargeting and remarketing. So essentially, you know, you come visit Moz through one of those channels, search or social. You visit us for our content. Maybe you, you know, you type it in. You check out our community, and then we drop a, uh, you know, essentially a cookie that says, "Hey, this person has has visited Moz." Particularly, we're going to drop that cookie if you go and uh, check out our product section, take the tour of Moz Analytics. And then, as you're surfing around the rest of the web, you know you will have kind of those uh, those display ads, uh, a lot of them featuring Roger Mosbot, our robot, kind of popping up all over and <laughs> it's funny to see you know people on Twitter or people commenting on the blog or those kinds of things like, oh, "Hey, I visited your website, and now Roger's following me around like a lost puppy." <laughs> and, and that's uh, that's actually been a, a quite an effective. Uh, channel on the paid side, I, I I do urge folks to check out remarketing. I think it's a cost-effective way to, and, and one of the only inbound, what I'd consider inbound forms of paid media, because you're really taking people who've already expressed an interest and showing them ads um,
1: based yeah. on that. Yeah. Well, we've done a whole episode on that. I've forget to recall the the episode number but it's the one with Justin Brooks so I'll link to that within the the show notes because um, I've personally been getting great results with uh, with remarketing as well now Rand you mentioned also in our kind of pre-interview discussion that you were getting really good results with um, Facebook promoted posts that were promoted with the kind of first few minutes uh, yeah. of seeing some good strong interaction would you share that little tip with our listener
0: yeah so basically Facebook you know, uh, it's no longer about the purely about the the edge rank algorithm because of course what shows up in the feed uh, has gotten so different over time with um, with Facebook. But what we have seen is that Facebook essentially relies on acceleration rate in the very early moments of a new post going up. So when we you know when we do a Facebook share that we're hoping to get a lot of activity on. What we'll generally do is, um, we'll almost always use an image, uh, a photograph, a um, you know a screenshot, something that's interesting that makes someone would make someone want to click on uh, the link or the post, want to share it, as opposed to just sharing a raw link or just sharing raw text, and then uh, in those first you know. Five to ten minutes. It's really about a, a ten-minute window, and in the first five, you should know. You want to look and see how much interaction you're getting, how many likes, how many shares, how many comments, and if that number is sort of exceeding a uh, your general average by a lot. So let's say you've got, you know, I have, um, I think for my personal page, somewhere around five thousand fans, and when I see a post that's got, uh, say, fifty likes in the first seven, eight, nine minutes, I really think to myself, okay, this is an opportunity to pay for a promoted post and spend a lot less money to reach many, many more people than I ordinarily would. And that's because essentially um, Facebook's algorithm at that point is saying show this to a broader set of people because it's earned that early traction and attention. And if you're getting high engagement rates with it, Every person, or you know, every group of a hundred new people who see it, you're going to get even more interactions, and of course, because of how Facebook works, that amplifies for every share and every like that you have. So that's a, um, yeah, really interesting thing to pay attention to. You know, Facebook is not one of those fire and forget uh, ad networks. It's really especially if you're using the promoted post functionality you want to be paying careful attention those first few minutes
1: yeah and i think facebook even recently have introduced a a little sort of prompt or a little pop-up or something similar yeah. that sort of comes up in the first few minutes and says hey you know this is above your kind of average interaction Do you want to you know you want to promote it Do you want to put some money behind it so uh, yeah it's quite an easy way to keep tabs of that now right
0: Absolutely, and I think that's very smart on Facebook's part, but it also kind of exposes a uh, an interesting portion of their of their algorithm uh, for showing stuff. Yeah. so yeah, just make sure you you actually have to visit face your Facebook page again in those first few minutes, right? You don't be hitting refresh every three seconds, but but every ten or twenty seconds, maybe,
1: <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. Cool. Well, over at Moz.com, you have recently changed your your brand name, Ran, from SEO Moz to Moz.com a few mm-hmm. months ago. What was the what was the move behind that change?
0: Uh, well it was a few things. One is we've you know, uh, through some acquisitions and through some um, things that we've built in-house, we've expanded quite a bit beyond SEO. Uh, so we now offer a number of tools for things like social media marketing, a lot of stuff that content marketers are using, um, brand mention tracking through Fresh Web Explorer. So, given that we had gone so far beyond SEO, it's it's actually quite hard, and I'm sure you as I'm sure you can imagine, uh, to have a brand that says SEO Moz but does things that are not SEO. Yeah. And uh, and so we realized we needed to expand the brand in order to do that. Um. But to be honest, there are another couple of reasons. Uh, one of the one of them certainly was the expansion. Our our sort of take on the expansion of SEO, which is that the responsibilities of someone who does search engine optimization have expanded very far outside of what is classically considered SEO. Yeah. Um, And so for a lot of those folks, the SEO name, right, saying I help with SEO is great, saying I am an SEO is very limiting because then you don't get budget or authority or influence to do all the kinds of things that you need to do just to influence uh, SEO alone. And then um, one of the more peculiar ones is that um, having SEO in our name actually made it very hard to hire software engineers, So software engineers um, are a group that in general has a bad taste in their mouth about SEO. And so um, even though, you know, once we could get someone to come in for an interview, it it could be a very compelling place to work. Uh, Just getting those applications was tough.
1: Yeah, well, that's interesting. And it is a bit of a black word in many circles, right? I mean, uh, if you're Mm -hmm. an SEO consultant, it kind of has a... A kind of a, a tarnished view in many cases due to previous experiences. So I can see exactly why you did that. Um, did you have to prize the domain away from someone who had already pre-owned it?
0: <laughs> yeah, there was a, uh, um, a guy who did own the domain, wasn't using it, fortunately. And so we, we bought it from him. And yeah, he was actually very cool about it. I think the price was, it was quite high, but, but uh, reasonable enough.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. And based on everything that we've discussed earlier in this interview, building that brand up, getting the domain name right itself, I'm sure that investment will pay itself over many, many times in the future. That's what we're hoping. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, Ran, just to close out, what's on your own personal radar coming up?
0: Gosh, I am. I'm seeing more and more this, uh, the trend in the world of content marketing helping to drive a lot of attention and awareness back to SEO. It's kind of weird now that content marketing has become um, such a buzzword and such a, a big practice in the industry like social media marketing was a few years ago, uh, the overlap with SEO from a content marketing perspective is even higher. And so we're seeing a lot of renewed interest on that front. Um, I'm also on the you know on the transactional SEO side, m- many folks use uh, and have used for years a strategy that is very reliant on guest blogging. And Google has made a lot of statements in the last couple of months suggesting that guest blogging is going to be, uh, guest posting anyway, is going to be part of an algorithmic update that may devalue a lot of those. And so I think if you're doing... If uh, uh, who was it, Inc. or Fast Company, reached out to me and asked if I'd write an article for them, and I said sure, and they put it up, and there's my byline on you know on Inc.'s website. That kind of stuff is is not going to get you in trouble, and that's probably a very very valuable link. But if you're posting on you know hundreds thousands of uh, of sites with mediocre to crappy content, stuff that you've copied from everywhere, stuff that no one actually cares about or reads, just to earn a link back, I'm guessing Google's going to find a way to devalue uh, those links and that influence in, in a near-term algorithmic update.
1: Yeah, and I think you did a Whiteboard Friday update on this not too long ago, right? Random, would I be correct in saying? Well, you, you yeah, I did, covered it. I
0: did write a little bit about uh, guest posting, uh, or... Film a little bit about guest posting maybe a few months ago.
1: Yeah, that's what I thought. Good. Well, I'll dig those links out and I'll make sure that they're included in the show notes for today's episode. Rand, other than moz.com and your own um, blog section within moz.com, is there anywhere else that I should send our listener off to as a result of uh, hearing you today?
0: Well, if you're particularly passionate about uh, Twitter, I, I do spend a lot of time there and I'm at, at randfish. There you go.
1: Well, all of that will be included in the show notes. So, Rand, thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your, um, your marketing advice all about SEO and, uh, and, and depths further than that today on Traffic Jam.
0: You too, James. Thank you so much.
1: This week's news in traffic. Okay, so it appears that Facebook have lost out on a whole chunk of advertising revenue. In fact, $1 billion worth of advertising revenue they could have yielded in 2013 had they rolled out their video ads. Now, according to All Things D, the uh, the digital website Their video ads expected for late this year won't now be rolled out until 2014. So if you had a chunk of cash ready to drop in these ads, you will just have to wait a little bit longer. In a story I picked up from searchengineland.com, Google has confirmed that they're testing incredibly large banner ads for specific branded phrases. In fact, the story that's posted there picks up on a uh, a tweet by Synergy HQ who showed a very large full width banner ad showing for the search query Southwest Airlines. Now, these banner ads look pretty much like those that appear at the top of YouTube spanning the whole width of the frame. And really taking up the majority of the real estate right at the top of the page. Now, this is interesting because in 2005, Google promised that banner ads would never come to web search. In fact, their quote is, there'll be no banner ads on the Google homepage or web search results pages. There will not be crazy, flashy, geographical doodads flying and popping up all over the Google site ever. Well, it does seem that Google have gone back on their word or at least ready to do so. Lastly, in this week's traffic news, I actually want to tell you about a little app that I've been playing with over the past few days, and it's called the LinkedIn Intro App, and it's an add-on to your mail application for iPhone. Now, if you're familiar with Reportive, this is basically a development of Reportive specific for iPhone mail. Now, what Reportive does is pull from LinkedIn profiles, so that you can see a full kind of profile of the person that you're sending or receiving an email from, including a photograph of them and links to their other social media accounts. Now, I absolutely love Reportive because it's so, so good for kind of one to one direct response sort of mail communication. I.e. if you want to make sure that you're getting through to the right person with a targeted email contact, then Reportive really does help you to do that. So, um, not much more news than that just something I really want you to check out and try out this week. If you're not already using Reportive for Gmail, go and give that a try. And if you've got an iPhone, go and try this app. You can download it from intro.linkedin.com. Go give it a play. I think you'll really enjoy it. Thank you to my man Zacharizi from the United States who left me a 5-star iTunes review this week and it reads James you're the man keep up the great work. Thank you for offering such useful information it's been extremely helpful. I secretly do a little dance before every one minute traffic tip. Well, Zacharisi, I've got to say I'm secretly doing a little dance for your review. So thank you for that. I really do appreciate your feedback. And- of course, the five-star review as well. To you, the listener, I'd love to hear your feedback on Traffic Jam. And of course, to do that, do what Zachary Easy did and head on over to iTunes, search for the Traffic Jam podcast, and then submit a rating and a review. All of the best ratings and reviews will get read out on the show. So if you do want to get yourself some airtime here on Traffic Jam, that's the way to do it. The One Minute Traffic Tip. But in this week's tip, I wanna tell you about another little tool that I've been playing around with this week. They'll help you identify what type of content is most effective in your market on Facebook. Now this little app is called ShareGrab and the way it works is you can basically pick out or identify which pages on Facebook you want to follow. And then what ShareGrab will do is show you the top rated content for that particular page assessed by which content is most shared, liked and commented on. Now the idea being here is that you can basically see which type of content on those pages gets the most interaction and then follow the format for your own Facebook page. Now I've started to follow a few pages in my market already and I've got some great ideas for really good shareable content for my own page. Now, the thing I like most about this tool is the fact that it is free. So I'm going to encourage you to go check it out for yourself. You can get it from ShareGrab.com. And once you've given it a little test drive, head back on over to TrafficJamCast.com, find episode 22, and then post on the page your experience with it. I really would love to get your feedback. It's something that I've been getting a lot out of this week, and I'm sure you will too. Okay, so that rounds out episode number 22 of Traffic Jam. I'll be back with episode 23 next week for a discussion with Amy Porterfield all about Facebook traffic. So stay tuned for that one. In the coming week, please be sure to check out all of the posts at veravo.com. We've got things covered such as how to ensure that you never run out of content marketing ideas in the SEO tip and training for the week. And uh, in Google AdWords training, I've got a little tip on uh, how to track and measure the return on investment from your marketing channel so that you can make better decisions as to which ones to keep and which ones to get rid of. So that's over at com. Playing out this episode of Traffic Jam is a track, of course, picked by my guest today, Rand Fishkin. It's a track from RJD2. The Final Frontier is the track name. It's from 2009, and it's quite apt because uh, the lyrics in it are the show is over. So listen out for that one. Anyway, I can't have enough of my singing. Let's play out this week's track and look forward to welcoming you back next week for another episode. See you soon.
2: I'm to sit down.
1: to the traffic jam podcast with james reynolds to know more about this program and to subscribe for future episodes check out the website trafficjamcast.com